Okay, before the break, we reviewed what we, where we have been in this first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. We indicated that the main message is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ. That is the church of Christ. We also reviewed that there, that led to three responsibilities. The first one is that you should recognize the unity and diversity in the church of Christ. The second is that you should focus on facts stated about members of the body of Christ. The first one that we looked at is that the church of Christ consists of many members. The second one, that no believer can be separated from the body of Christ. They thought that each member is necessary for the functioning of the local church of Christ or the universal church of Christ. They thought that it is God that placed each member of the church in the uh, church to function as he wants that person to function. Fifth, that there will be no Church of Christ as we know it today if it consists of only one member. So that brings us to the third responsibility, which is to be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. And we gave several reasons for that. Because, first, because of the importance of unity. Secondly, that each, each member uh, depends so much depends on the others. They thought that even those considered weak are indispensable or necessary members of the body of Christ. Fourth, that there are certain members of the body of Christ that require special attention. The fifth, which is really where we began this morning, which is that God has his purpose for constituting the church of Christ in certain ways. And so, we consider three things in, based on this, uh, based on verse 24, where it says, God has combined the members of the body. And we say that should remind us of three things. First, that the work of God in composing of the body of Christ results in a unified body. So that we see that, yes, God is one who creates unity and also disunity. The second is that unity in the body of Christ then is the work of all-powerful and wise God and not of humans. So we indicated we didn't create human, uh, the unity in the body of Christ. God created it. We are called simply to maintain it as believers. The third reason is that the God composed the church from people of different ethnic backgrounds to form a new humanity. Also, we, that he composed the church with believers with different spiritual gifts. So, we began to look at what Ezra God did because of the clause in verse 24 when it says, and has given greater honor to the past that lacked it. Now that word honor was what we were looking at before we went on break. So far we have said that the uh, Greek word, TMA, has several meanings, but uh, the last one we mentioned is that it can have the meaning of uh, showing honor, reverence, or respect, as it is translated with the word respect in the instruction given to believers who are slaves, uh, so they should respond to their masters in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. And that's where we stop, and that's where we begin uh, this second session. It reads, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. In other words, 
The thing I always say is if you do everything right when it comes to a conflict between what a human being says and what God says, the human authority will be angry with you and may reluctantly, depending on the pressure that's brought to bear on that person, reluctantly give you up to be uh, punished. But knowing fully well that you represent well, I mean, you show uh, character, you show faithfulness in everything, but that's one thing. And they, and it's not that they're going to let you go, like what happened to Daniel. The king realized, man, they, they're after him, but my hands are tied because I signed a decree. But he wasn't, I mean, it, it bothered him. Because he knew this man, that's the only thing to get him is his God. No other thing. He was exemplary administrator. So as long as we do everything correct, reflect Christ in everything, reflect the teaching you receive. If it just comes to one thing, where it is between what God says and what man says, and you know it's a conflict, then you know what side to go. You have to go with the side of God because he's going to be the one to protect you as he protected Daniel in that lion's den, or the three uh, Jewish men in that burning furnace. Anyway, so the word here is translated respect. Nonetheless, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 24, the sense of the Greek word is value, value. That is, the quality that renders something desirable or valuable. Now the value or honor is given to paths that are described as not having it, as in passage we're studying, First uh, Corinthians 12, uh, 24 again it says, has given greater honor to the paths that lacked it. Now literally the Greek reads, having given greater honor to the lacking, to the lacking. Now, the word lacked of the NIV is translated from a Greek word that may mean to lack in the sense of being in short supply. Hence, also means to fail, to give out. Now, as the word is used in Jesus' answer to the question of the rich young man that asked him, about what to do to inherit eternal life in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. 21 Reads, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, of course, yeah, it doesn't, it's not if you're nice to the poor, give everything, you're going to go to heaven. He just said, you have treasure. But then following is that regeneration from another passage. We know he said, follow me in regeneration. That's how you go to have eternal life. Anyway, the Greek word may mean to lack in the sense of to be in need of something as it is used in Jesus' question to the disciples if they needed or if they were in need of anything when he sent them out on a mission work without any provision, so to say. According to Luke chapter 22 verse 35. Luke Luke chapter 22 verse 35 It is Then Jesus asked them When I sent you with a purse Bag or sandals. Did you like anything? Nothing, 
the answered. So the word may mean to be lower in status, hence to be less, to be inferior. As Apostle Paul used the word to describe himself to the Corinthians, how he handled himself in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse eleven. Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse eleven, he reads. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior. That's a Greek word here, it's translated inferior, to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Now you can see all that is dripping with sarcasm. <laughs> it being sarcastic. Now the Greek word may mean to lack in the sense of to experience deficiency in something advantageous or desirable. Thus with the additional meaning then of to go without or to come short of. As Apostle Paul used it to describe his orientation to things uh, of this life that are necessities in Philippians chapter 4 Verse 12. Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verse 12 reads. I know. What it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. Now the Greek word may mean to miss out on something. Through one's fault. Hence means to miss, to fail to reach, as it is used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It is, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So, of the various meanings of the uh, Greek word, it is the meaning of the lack. In the sense of to experience deficiency in something advantageous or desirable that the apostle used a Greek word in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24. So the parts described as lacking something in the context of the apostle's analogy refers to those body parts that are less visible and so less valued. Now God has placed values on them in such a way that they actually command they actually command respect. Now we have referred to the genitals as the part that are usually hidden because they are not considered something that should be displayed to others, because by their very nature, they are unattractive, but God has made them so valuable because of the function they perform. 
Now procreation would not be possible without these hidden parts of the body. So God not only gave them such function that is valuable, but he also gave humans the, that instinct to hide or to cover up some parts thereby, I mean such body parts thereby, giving respect or honor to them. Now having said this though, we should recognize that the focus is not really on the human parts, but on the members of the body of Christ. That is, unbelievers. not concerned with body parts per se. It's just an analogy to get to the point. Now there are members of the body of Christ that may be disrespected or undervalued. And so these individuals have been recognized by God bestowing on them special gifts that should cause other believers to respect them. Now it is likely that some of the believers with the visible gifts such as speaking in tongues in the church of Corinth were those who were not highly thought of in the society. It's more likely that way. Now for after all the apostle had already reminded the Corinthians that uh, many of them who were saved were considered uh, that they were not considered influential and uh, in their society of course prior to their salvation or even after their salvation they still not considered that influential as we read in a passage we have studied in the past but let's go back there and look at it First Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 21 through 26. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 26 through 31. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 26 through 31. Reads, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lonely things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So our assertion that some of those with visible gifts in Corinth were those not of high status in their society is in keeping with the fact that even the 72 disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that he sent out on a mission field were not considered of high status in their time in that society as we may deduce from what the Lord said to them after they returned from their mission trip with excitement of what happened in their mission work and the Lord redirected how they should be excited in Luke chapter 10 verse 21 Luke Luke chapter 10 verse 21 reads 
At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. Now, this is true. We can say that. Think about it today. There are things we are studying from the scripture. All these PhDs, they don't have a clue as to what we are studying. And they're powerful. have no clue. They are winging us, as they say. But they have no clue as to what of the things that God is teaching us through his word. As we learn in this congregation, for example. They have no clue. So that's why it says, hidden these things from the wise and the learned. And reveal them to little children. That was you and I dressed as little children, so to say. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. In other words, you are here because of his good pleasure. Now, that the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, though, were considered not individuals of high standing. In Israel, at that time, is confirmed by what the rulers of Israel said, as we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts Chapter 4, verse 13. It is, When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Now, let me stop right there for a moment here. One of the things that gives a person courage, or as we say confidence, is knowledge. It's knowledge. If you have knowledge, about something. It gives you courage in that thing. No matter what we deal with. When you know what the truth is, you should have courage. That's why it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, that was uneducated, really, so to say, but in their uh, rabbinical training and so on and so forth. So it says, when they realized they were in school, ordinary men, they were astonished. Because you see, the only people who were learned had the courage of talking about God in the way they did. But that's why I tell you, knowledge is something that will give you courage. If you like it, you can't have courage, truly. Unless you're an arrogant person, then you try to act arrogantly. But really to have true courage, you've got to have knowledge. Anyway, so it's an honorary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men, look at the next thing, had been with Jesus. See, if you know Jesus Christ, you back it up with knowledge of the scripture, you should be going out there with your head uh, hair high. All the time. It's not being arrogant. It's just that you're going to hold, your, uh, you know, hold up yourself. Present yourself in a way that shows that you know Jesus Christ. Because that's why they, they realize, oh man, these people, they know Jesus Christ. That's where their confidence and courage came from. Anyway, so really we're arguing that probably most of those with invisible gifts in the church in Corinth must have been those who were of little value or little status in the society since quite often God chooses individuals that are not considered of high standing to demonstrate his power and his grace. It is this fact that is also really implied in the rhetorical question of James Recorded in James chapter 2, verse 5. 
James chapter 2, verse 5. James chapter 2, verse 5. He reads, Listen, my dear brothers, has God, I mean, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? To be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. Since something is implied. Anyway, the point we are really stressing is that a verbal phrase of 1 Corinthians 12 24, where we are starting, the verbal phrase is, has given greater honor to the past that lacked it, conveys. That God has given visible spiritual gifts to many members of the church of Christ in Corinth with low social status. Now this being the case, those believers who would otherwise not get attention from members of the local church because of their social standing are those God in his wisdom has chosen to bestow bestow gifts that will cause others to respect them or to recognize them. Something that would not have happened if God did not bestow visible gifts on such individuals. So in any case, the Apostle Paul in the last closing of 1 Corinthians 12, 24 was concerned not so much with body parts as with members of the body of Christ. That, that, that is clear from what he stated in verse 25. So we know he wasn't, he wasn't concerned about body parts per se. He's just using them as a means to communicate. The apostle provides two related purposes in verse 25 that are only intelligible if the members of the body in verse 24 are members of the body of Christ, that is believers in the church of Christ. We know this, that the apostle provided two related purposes because of the phrase, so that, that begins verse 25, so that. Now the, the expression so that is Translated from a Greek conjunction that may be used as a marker of purpose with a meaning in order that or so that. Or it can be used as a marker of result so that it may be translated as a result or even so that. Often though it is difficult then to differentiate purpose from result. In which case, the Greek conjunction is used for the result that follows according to the purpose of the uh, subject. Now, this notwithstanding, the Greek conjunction is used in verse 25 to express the purpose for which God composed the church of Christ the way he did. Now, instead of purpose, for composing the church the way he did, uh, God did that, is to ensure there will be no division in the church of Christ. So there will be no division in the church of Christ. Now it is this purpose that is stated in the first clause of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25 we starting. It says, so that there should be no division in the body. Now, as we have already stated, this clause implies that the apostle was no longer concerned with human body parts, but the body of Christ, that is, the church. Since there is no way to conceive of division occurring among bodies. (coughs) 
Now division is something that occurs with humans. Something that occurs with humans. Now the word division is translated from a Greek word schisma. Schisma. From which we get our English word schism. Now the word may mean fear or crack. As it is used in, in the Lord's declaration when he uh, was asked as to the reason his disciples did not fast. He replied by referring to a proverb, the uh, proverb that in its usage in the uh, context of the question that he answered probably meant to convey that the way or that the new way of life brought through him or through his teaching does not need to be restrained by the old way. As he stated in Matthew chapter 9 verse 16. Matthew chapter 9 verse 16. Matthew chapter 9 verse 16. Matthew chapter 9 verse 16 reads, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Here the uh, Greek word is translated tear. Now the Greek word may mean division or dissension or schism, as a condition of being divided because of conflicting aims or objectives, or beliefs. Now, of course, the division that results in two different groups with opposing views is usually, there's no agreement what that view is. Now, so this is part of the meaning of our Greek words, and this meaning is reflected among the Pharisees Regarding the person of Jesus Christ. As we may gather from John chapter 9 verse 16 where they were arguing about the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 9 verse 16. John chapter 9 verse 16 reads, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. <laughs> Think about it. The God himself. They say he's not from God. Say so this man is not from God. Here is, his, here is their reason. For he does not keep the Sabbath. So that's the thing you have to always remember just because people judge you by quoting a passage of the Bible doesn't mean that they're right. You just have to know what the truth is. Say for, not, uh, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, this is how God does his thing and that's what he did, the Lord Jesus Christ to confuse them. Now the Jews know this one thing for sure and they're right. If you're a sinner, God doesn't hear your prayer. They know that. So how can he do all this miracle? That's what they're saying. Look at the next thing. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. In other words, some say, no, he must be God, or he must be who he claims to be. And I said, no, no, he can't be God because he's breaking the Sabbath. So that's the division here. So the division then among the Pharisees is because they were not united in their view of Jesus Christ. This is one of those things that when you think about it, if believers are actually united 
in their understanding of the scripture, they have no division. Now, not just that, if believers have the same understanding about several subjects based on the scripture, not on the wall, they will have the same, there will be no division among them. So we'll get all these divisions is because either we're not in agreement as to the explanation of a particular passage, or we hear it and we don't believe it. Anyway, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.25, the Greek word has a sense of schism, that is division of a group into opposing factions. Now, God's purpose is that there should be no division in the church of Christ. That's his purpose. As I've uh, explained in the first part of the uh, study, that he God composed the church. He composed it. He brought the unity. We're not called to, called to do that. We're called to maintain that. So as he composed the church, he put it in such a way that for his purposes, there should be no division. For his own purposes. Now, however, when believers fail to live up to God's purpose, we have division. Anytime we have division, we don't live to oppose. Now that's why I, I mean I say, even use husband and wife relationship. When there's a fight among them, which in my own way of thinking, based on the scriptural study, I don't see how a believing husband and wife should be fighting. I don't see that. That's me. They fight. If they do, what I'm about to say here applies. It is because they don't have the same understanding of the scripture at that time. Because here is the thing. If believers, I'm using husband and wife for example, they have this understanding. I can't do anything that will keep me out of fellowship. I must do everything so that I'll be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the other person has the same view. Tell me where they're going to fight. So when there's division, one or both are involved in some failure. That's the way we should understand that. I know we can make excuses all we want. That's the only explanation. So anyway, Apostle Paul had already rebuked the Corinthians for this failure. In that there was division or partisanship among them that should not exist among believers. Therefore, he appealed to them to rectify it, as we read in First Corinthians chapter one, verses ten to twelve. First Corinthians. Chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 to 12 read. I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so there may be no division among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's where our problems come from. Our thoughts. So if we're united in thinking the same way about anything, there'll be no division. You say, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another say, I follow Apollos. Another say, I follow Cephas. Still another say, I follow Christ. 
Every one of them should be saying the same thing. I follow Christ. No, no other person. And that's why the division came. Anyway, so the point is, whenever there is division in the local church of Christ, it is because of failure to attain the purpose of God for the church. The Lord, as I mentioned in the first part, the Lord composed this local church. I know that um, those who are really thinking about the church, they always concerned about this church. That, you know, God will continue to sustain it. Yes, he composed it. Like I emphasized in the first half. You can look around you and think about it if you're actually thinking. And now realize that you're in something special. Something God composed. And don't know how he did it. How he brought members who are here. Because there are people who come here. And they can hardly wait to get out here. I know that. But because God has not placed them here. Those he has placed. These are those. There should be no division among them. Because God composed this body. Anyway, the Lord Jesus in his priestly prayer. Petition God the Father. To enable believers to maintain unity. And so to avoid division among them. As we read in John chapter 17 verse 23. John 17 verse 23. John 17 verse 23 reads, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now remember, we indicated that Unity in the church in its perfection is God's work. In its perfection. In other words, God has brought about unity in the body through his work. But what is demanded of us is while on this planet, we should make real what is real with God. That's what's demanded. You see, we humans have the tendency to segregate based on several human factors. Now the church of Christ has to guide against that. Now it is possible that even in a local church, people from cliques based on social standing or human ties based it is necessary we take steps to avoid forming any kind of clay that will imply division in the body of Christ. Now it requires concerted efforts to avoid such a thing. Anyway, the fact that we are to strive to avoid division means that the, apostle, that the body... Apostle Paul had it uh, in his mind in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, is the body of Christ and no longer a human body. That's the point. Now, another stated purpose for God composing the church the way he did is to ensure we care for each other. That's the second purpose. To ensure we care for each other. Now, caring for each other is antithetical to division. So, the next closing of 1 Corinthians 12, 25 begins with the conjunction, or particle, but translated from a Greek particle, 
that we previously considered in verse 24, where we indicated that this particle is, uh, partic- uh, is uh, really particularly used to indicate a difference with or contrast with what precedes. Now the order purpose then of God in uh, composing the, the church the way he did contrasts with the concept of division that may exist in local churches. Now this order set a purpose in is given in the second clause. Look at where we start in 1 Corinthians 12, 25. It says, But that if parts should have equal concern for each order. Now this clause implies that the apostle, although he used the word parts, is no longer focusing on parts of the human body, but members of the church of Christ, since body parts are incapable of what is stated in the verbal phrase, have equal concern for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Now the word concern is translated from a, a Greek word that may mean to worry. As in the command the Lord Jesus uh, issued against warring about the necessities of this life in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Matthew Matthew Chapter 6, verse 25. It reads, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Now the word may mean to attend to or to care for. Or even to be concerned about someone. That's as the Apostle Paul used it to describe Timothy's concern for the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 20. Philippians 2, verse 20. Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. It is, I have no one else like him, that's Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Genuine. Something not many of us can do. Genuine. If you have a genuine interest, you are genuinely towards that person too. Now the Greek word may mean to be anxious, to be anxious. As in this instruction against anxiety about anything of this life, still in Philippians, Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6. It is, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Now it is in the sense of being concerned about someone that the word then is used 
In our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25, being concerned about someone. So the apostle used a present tense in the Greek. Now the implication is that it is expected that believers should form the habit of being concerned with each other or for each other. From the habit. It's not something that comes automatic. So we have to form the habit. Every habit begins with one action. So you form that, ha- uh, that habit by beginning that concern for each member of the body of Christ, now at least in this local church. Now it is not, again, something that you do once or twice, no. We should have continuously the mentality to be concerned about each other. Now the concern that believers should have for each order in the body of Christ is qualified in the NIV with the adjective equal. In that verbal phrase where it says, have equal concern for each other. Now literally, the Greek reads, parts should have care for the same for each other. Let me read that again. It says, parts should have care the same for each other. Now this is because the word equal of the NIV is really translated from a Greek word autos. That is, in this verse, has the meaning same, same, as pertaining to that which is identical to something. So the implication is really twofold. We are to have the same concern for each other as we will want them to have for us. Now, there are, you know, this, we live in this world of me, me, me. All you think about you, you're not thinking about how are you doing whatever you wanted, how are you doing it to the other person. You just want me. I'm not getting the attention I need. Are you giving one? See, we just want me, 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 you know, those kind of things. So that's what I'm saying. Furthermore, though, our concern for each other should not depend on the individual. See, that's what we deal with in grace. God is dealing with all of us in grace. None of us here deserves anything good from Him. None. He's dealing with us in grace. So, we shouldn't deal with another person in a different way. We are recipients of grace. So we should be very accommodating, very caring, based not on the person, but based on our love for our Savior Jesus Christ. So that's what I mean by that uh, there should be uh, something where we want the same thing for ourselves, we should want it for other people too. And you see, there's again, again, there's that tendency for believers in a local church to show concern to an individual based on the person's status in the society. Now that's something we all need to pay attention to. I'm saying, yeah, you know, concern should not depend on the individual. And so that's why I'm making that point that there is a tendency for believers in a local church to show concern to an individual based on the societies. In other words, society really, uh, how they respond to whatever happens to you depends on who you are. If you are well connected, powerful, yeah, they respond differently. If no one knows you, no one cares. That should not be the Christian way of thinking. That's my point here. Now you see, there is of course, even among uh, believers in a local church, there's tendency to show concern to an individual based on a person's status in the society. Now that is wrong. We are to show the same level of concern for one another as believers, regardless of a person's status in the society 
since the local church of Christ consists of those who are highly regarded in the world or in the society as well as those who are not. Now this kind of thing then that I'm saying in terms of we should behave the same way is displayed in the way believers may respond to say something like uh, believers who lost loved one. Let's just take that as an illustration. Now it is possible that if a person is well known that the family gets more attention from the members of the body of Christ than those who are not well uh, placed in the society. Now this is also because, you know, just, that's what you see in society. If somebody who is powerful, we connected, something happened or they die, everyone wants to go. Whatever funeral, whatever it is, just to be seen with. Of course, in most cases, they want to be connected with something. Now, that shouldn't be the way a Christian function. We should recognize that believer is valued before the Lord as you are. Or even the rich one, the poor one, whatever it is. The educated or uneducated. God values them the same way. He has placed them in that body. So, again, we should be such that... Uh, we don't do such a thing and we should be those who avoid this kind of behavior because that's incompatible with God's purpose in composing the church the way he did. So anyway, it is important we show the same concern for one another. Now the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul explains further what this concern for each other involves. Now we said, uh, we use the word explains though because of the Greek conjunction that begins verse 26. The Greek conjunction is often translated and in our English versions as reflected in this verse in the New American Standard Bible that began the verse with the conjunction and. However, the Greek conjunction has several other usages. For example, it may be used to introduce a result that comes from what precedes, and so may be translated, and so, and so. It may be used to emphasize a fact as surprising or unexpected or noteworthy, with the meaning something like, and yet, or in spite of that, or simply nevertheless. Of course, it could also be used simply for emphasis with the meaning even. It may be used to match an explanation so that what follows explains what goes before it, leading to the translation that is, or namely, the majority of our English versions do not translate it in the verse that we're considering, probably implying that the apostle was continuing his teaching concerning the composing of the church of God. That aside, the great conjunction is really subject to at least two interpretations in this particular verse. A first interpretation is that it is used to express result. In which case, it may be translated with a conjunction that reflects results, such as the word, those, or so, as reflected in such English versions as the complete Jewish Bible, or the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now this interpretation, of course, implies that what is stated in verse 26 is that which results from the perfect composing of the church of God by God himself. Or that it is a result of being concerned for each other. Those will be the two possible ways. The second interpretation though is that the Greek word is used in an explanatory sense and so may be translated that is or and so. Now this interpretation implies in that verse 26 explains or illustrates 
what it means for believers to be concerned for each other. That's, it could, it, that would be a second possible meaning. It would not be telling us, when he said be concerned with each other, what does that really mean? So this may be explaining it. Anyway, both interpretations uh, make sense though, since each states that uh, states what is true in the context. It may be the case though that the apostle in verse 26 gives the result of the composing of the church as God has done. But that he does it in such a way that verse 26 explains what it means to be concerned for another believer. So that's what we're again using that way. In a sense, there's a result, but then to give an explanation when he said be concerned about each other. What is it? How you do that? What is it? Anyway, my point is that without verse 26 explaining what it means to be concerned for each other, the apostle leaves us to gaze what he means or what it means. But if verse 26 is an explanation, then we understand in a more concrete way what it means to be concerned for each other instead of gazing what it means. What does it really mean? Now believers, having concern for each other, it's explained though as sharing in negative and positive experiences of their fellow believers, given by two conditional clauses in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26. Now so, the concept of sharing, remember what I say is, this is the whole idea of you know, being, being concerned. You're going to share your experiences of your fellow believer, both positively and negatively. That's what the apostle is coming to. So the concept of sharing in the negative experience of a fellow believer is stated in the first conditional clause of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26. Because it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's is beginning to introduce it. Because remember what it says, this whole idea of being concerned is sharing the experience of your fellow believers, both positively and negatively. Well, so here it says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Well, really, there's much more to this clause, so we will examine it in detail in our next study, because we're out of time. Meanwhile, let me do end by reminding you that the fifth and the final reason you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ is that God has his purpose for constituting the church in certain ways. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet that you are not a child of God yet. You are a religious person, but you don't have life yet. That means if you die now, you go to hell. But the good news is this, that you are hearing what you are going to be hearing now. Of God's love for you. His concern for you. A love manifested in action. Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who willingly left heaven with all his glories, took on a human form, allowed himself to be slapped around, spied upon, abused, rejected, without him in any form giving up. Yet, those he came to redeem rejected him. He didn't allow that affect what he came to do. So he continued with his teaching, his miracles, to prove that he is God, the Son of God. After all that, he came, they came and arrested him because he gave them permission, of course. And 
They marched him to Golgotha, where they nailed him on the cross. And they lifted that cross, sank it to the ground. Now all this period, Christ, no doubt, was in the cruciating pain of nails being driven through his body. Yet, he didn't so much as scream. But when the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being charged upon the Son of God, it was so unbearable to him that he let out that cry, Elo, Elo, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken for you to be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His name. If you believe, He came, died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day for your sins. No matter what your sins are, they will be completely forgiven and cleansed. You will be cleansed and never to be remembered by Him. So, trust in Him, believe Him and have life. On the other hand, if you say, well, I don't know about this. My friend, you have one foot to eternal destruction of hell. So, wake up. Get out your foot out from there. By faith in Christ. Trust in Him and you have life. Holy Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to uh, cause us to know and understand your purpose for composing the church the way you have done it. So that in every way, we honor and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. This is a request in Christ's name.